I still have patients who are on the plant-based diet who have um, high blood pressure and some of them even have high cholesterol. And so there, there are folks who are not eating very cleanly, uh, even though it might be plant-based, they might be eating you know, foods that are really highly processed or high in fat. Um, or, you know, the, the familial hypercholesterolemia, the family uh, mm-hmm. cholesterol, elevated cholesterol is a thing. And, uh, and so you can only treat it so much with a plant-based diet. Most of the time you get into their appropriate range, but sometimes you don't. And um, I'm not opposed to prescribing medications. I have the, the power to prescribe all the you know, <laughs> normal, you know, gold standard medications, but certainly the first thing that we try are the lifestyle changes. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya. A show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Dr. Scott Harrington returns to our podcast show for a second time. Finding the right primary care doctor can be difficult no matter who you are, but when you're a vegan, it can be even harder. That's why Dr. Harrington created Vegan Primary Care, a telehealth practice licensed to help you in most U.S. states providing care from a vegan doctor's perspective. As board-certified physicians, they provide many of the same services as any primary care doctor you see in person, writing prescriptions, ordering imaging or labs, and making referrals. But rather than relying on the Western model of medicine, which manages chronic conditions with pills, they believe in plant-based care that seeks to achieve optimal health through a whole foods plant-based diet, enjoyable exercise, and maintaining quality relationships. Dr. Harrington's focus on individual treatment is evident in everything he does. He values the doctor-patient relationship and gets to know you personally. Initial appointments are one hour with 30-minute follow-ups so you never feel rushed. Why do you need a vegan doctor? Because your current doctor may not know where you get your protein. They may not even know the connection between nutrition and various other diseases. Dr. Harrington is here to be your advocate. In this episode, he also mentions an app that he uses with his patients to track their daily meals. I was able to look it up and I found an app called 8 Food Diary Plus Habit Journal. Have you ever used a food diary or log? Or are you still battling with certain health conditions despite making a significant change to a whole food plant-based diet? Well, head on over to our Instagram at plantbaseddfwpodcast and send me a message. Let me know how you are doing and if you've been able to reverse any health conditions. Don't forget to visit Dr. Harrington's website, veganprimarycare.com. Let's welcome Dr. Harrington. Well, welcome back, Dr. Harrington. It's such a pleasure to have you again. So, Thanks, Maya. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. This is yes. great. Yeah, so Vegan Primary Care is basically my primary care office, my vegan primary care office. And 
where people can see me through telemedicine through 42 states. Uh, yes. Whether you live in 42 different states, uh, you can access me and access me as a, uh, a health advocate, your primary care doctor who can order labs and referrals and imaging if needed, uh, and who you can reach out to and, and ask medical questions to. So I was mentioning uh, just a few minutes ago that I'm very active on various Facebook groups and it seems like every day I still read that someone is looking for a plant-based physician who can be on their side when it comes to working with their health. In other words, someone who endorses the diet that they have now adopted. And so I, I'm like, I guess we just got to keep sharing this information that there are physicians like yourself who are out there that are available and you're a primary care physician. That means that you can work with people, um, with a broader range of people, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's real important that we get the word out because, uh, there, there's vegans out there who want their doctor to be just like them. They want them to someone to understand exactly what they're going through mm -hmm. and, uh, and have an advocate who, who is just like them. So uh, people don't realize uh, how big telemedicine is getting. It's, it's starting to take over. And once you use telemedicine, you realize, wow, boy, this is way easier than having to drive in traffic and, you know, be late and all this frustration and sit in a waiting room. So it's, it's uh, so nice when my patients can just connect with me from the comfort of their own home. And with the, uh, by getting multiple state licenses, I can see patients in Alaska and Hawaii and Texas and Florida, you know, 42 different states. It's really great. Yeah, it's so convenient. I think a lot of us are now getting used to this kind of doing a lot of business <laughs> via Zoom and other things like that. So it's, the, I guess there were only a handful of things that you've mentioned in the past that you can't really treat directly like this by Zoom. Uh, that, was that related to maybe something related to the ear? Right. So if there's, a, if there's something that uh, needs to be, if an exam needs to be done for the di diagnosis, like an inner ear infection, much can be done through the history, but without cinching the diagnosis, uh, it's, it's not good to just, just treat just by guessing. So, mm -hmm. um, but most of the things can be that you, that you need from a primary care doctor in terms of, uh, learning about your disease, educating you on how to treat or prevent your disease with diet and lifestyle factors, uh, referrals if needed meds, uh, refills and stuff like that labs, all that can be done online. So, but uh, for these specific instances, uh, it is nice to have be seen in person. So I sometimes refer people to urgent care if it, if it can't be dealt with, but there are tools out there. There's a, a device now called the Taito Care device where people can, can get this device and it will, it, it will take a picture of your eardrum. It will listen to your heart uh, exam and teach you how to do the exam. You just follow the directions. And okay. same with the lung exam, as well as oral oral exam, the the you know the tonsils, looking at the tonsils. So there are tools out there, uh, and you can go go a hundred percent telemedicine pretty much. Uh, but uh, for the most part, you don't have to have a Taito Care device. You can you can do it just with just by the the video. Right. And then, like I said, I'll go ahead and, and um, put a link for the first time you came here, uh, the first episode that you visited where you go into detail in more detail about how telemedicine works. I will tell you, Dr. Harrington, I've had an injury on in my arm and I think I need a physical therapist. But the whole idea of scheduling to go see the primary physician who I've only seen once because I don't have issues 
doing that to then being referred is um, is the only reason I've delayed all of this because it just seems like multiple steps I just so anyway if I have an injury like that if you were my physician and I and I would kind of describe what it was like you would probably know who to refer me to to have further exams right yeah absolutely so I can see see uh, how you can move your arm or, or whatever the injured um, extremity is. And you know, we can do certain exams just by having you do certain motions. And I can come up with what, what I think is going on. And if you need, I can get you referred to the appropriate specialists for, um, you know, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's orthopedics or a special sports medicine doctor, that sort of thing. Yeah procedure-based specialties, you know, require you to be seen in person, yes. uh, but uh, sort of the medical um, uh, specialties that, you know, don't, don't, don't require procedures can be done all through telemedicine. So I was hoping that today we can kind of go a little bit in more depth in terms of how people can continue to take care of themselves. So we are seeing that people are, who have core morbidities are still very vulnerable to, um, you know, having more complications if they were to get the coronavirus, for example. So I'm hearing my husband tells me that now he's treating um, COVID patients who are developing developing blood clots. And now he's having to treat those legs and things like that. So I am, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about things like that, what we can do to keep our blood pressure a little bit more stable, lower our cholesterol, and really just have our diabetes under control. And then maybe we can talk about your perspective on the vaccine and tell people how you feel about that. Um, where it's obviously people are doing well with the vaccine, but I know that it's a tough topic to talk about for some people. So um, what do you think? Should we talk about uh, what people can do to continue to take care of themselves? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we're talking about the plant-based diet. It, it, at no time in my mind in history has it been more important that people adopt a plant-based diet. And um, because it's coming from all, all sides, you know, you know, in America, we have a high obesity rate and our medical co costs are going up and our lifespan is finally sort of peaked and starting to trend back down. If that didn't scare you, you know, now we have a pandemic and having these comorbid illnesses that, that uh, uh, will increase your risk for severe uh, COVID infection, like hypertension, like coronary artery disease, like you know, diabetes, these kind of things put you at risk for having worse outcomes. So now more than ever, you should be concerned about your health and improving, improving your health. And so the number one recommendation I have, of course, the plant-based diet, uh, because it not only treats, but it helps reverse many of these chronic illnesses. Uh, and, and so that, that's kind of like the bottom line up front. I mean, we, we can get into specifics, but if, uh, if you're just on the fence, if you haven't uh, decided to take the plunge, mm -hmm. I would say do it. It's so easy and it's so, and it's so fun. And th so there's so many, so many reasons to do it. Dr. Harrington, do we have to um, only rely on medication to control our blood pressure? No, the, the DASH diet has been developed and proves that you can decrease your blood pressure dramatically with your dietary intake. DASH diet was developed... Uh, I believe in the seventies and it, I might be wrong about the exact date, but it's been around a long time is what I'm trying to say. And it was, it was developed with, uh, you know, low fat, low salt diet, uh, 
they didn't mention vegan or vegetarian. It was a mostly vegan or vegetarian. And with that diet, it dramatically reduced uh, blood pressure. So people don't even have to go all the way. Uh, but we know we know dietary effects um, uh, greatly benefit the blood pressure. We know that exercise may decrease it another five points uh, uh, with aerobic exercise and then with uh, weight-bearing exercise, another uh, five points. And so uh, yeah, the answer is yes, but what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna sort of go back to is your, the, when patients have shortness of breath and they think they may have COVID, some people are scared to go to the hospital. Uh, and in, in peak times, the ERs and the ICUs have been full. And for an ER doctor, you sort of change your triage. You know, people are really severe, you're bringing them in. And if they're sort of mild, you're, you're sort of uh, recommending that they convalesce at home. And so some patients might be sort of concerned about even going in for the fear that they'll contract COVID. And so overall, there's a lot of fear. But what I'll say to this is that most parts are not completely overwhelmed. And, and, and that usually comes out in the news about whether your local hospitals are completely overwhelmed. Um, and so in the United States, we have a lot of resources. We have a lot, most, most of the time, you're able to go to the emergency room and get, you know, gold standard of care. Uh, I will say that um, if you, it's best if you're feeling short of breath to go to the hospital, that's an emergency. And sometimes you'll have other things like you mentioned your husband dealing with clots. Sometimes people, people will develop clots in their lungs uh, for other reasons and think that it's COVID and not, not get that figured out because, because they'll just be convalescing at home. So if you're short of breath and something doesn't feel right, you, you got to get checked out. So I went on to Facebook to kind of ask people how they have managed their blood pressure. I was surprised how many people are well read and informed. You know, they've read a lot of these books by Dr. Michael Greger and um, very familiar with all of this and just, you know, hibiscus tea and drink and eating beets and so many different things that you don't even have to isolate these foods if you just re, um, if you just eat a variety of whole plant-based foods you're pretty much covered aren't you absolutely yeah there, we, we when, we're, when we're testing things we get granular we you know we break it down to very specific things but uh, you know the whole food plant-based diet works in a myriad of ways to decrease the the blood pressure mm -hmm. um, one way that's very interesting was they found that, uh, nitrate rich vegetables will increase athletes performance because it helps to dilate the, the vessels. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, when you look at different nitrate, uh, rich vegetables, arugula is one of the highest. It has uh, 40 milligrams per hundred grams, uh, cilantro, 247, butter leaf, lettuce, 200 mixed greens, 188. Uh, and then beet juice is a little bit, it's kind of in the middle there two two forty. But I can't imagine myself drinking beet juice all the time. Juicing in general is kind of a pain and you end up with all this stuff. So uh, this whole sort of beet, beet juice craze, just eat greens. Just, you know, have, a, have an awesome salad every day. Uh, and so this is going to dilate your, your vessels, whether you have peripheral vascular disease, whether you have coronary artery disease, whether you have erectile dysfunction, you know, these are vascular issues. And you know, even uh, you, you, you assume that it may improve cognitive performance because you get more blood flow to the brain as well. So, uh, so I have a lot of folks, friends in the military, 
because I'm in the military. And so they're always asking about how to improve performance and how to, how to um, uh, recover faster. And that's what I tell them. Make sure you're eating a salad every day with lots of green leafy vegetables uh, to get that uh, nitric oxide uh, at the vessels from the nitrate rich vegetables. Now, one last kind of interesting uh, tidbit on this is there are bacteria in our mouth that help to break down those nitrate rich vegetables into uh, nitric oxide. If you, if you use mouthwash or antiseptic mouthwash, you could potentially harm those, the bacteria and the enzyme that is gonna, going to change that. And so you can actually decrease the effectiveness of your greens with antiseptic mouthwash. So just brush your teeth without antiseptic uh, uh, mouthwash. I, I just find that very, very interesting. We're learning more and more about how antibiotics may be sometimes working against us in ways we just didn't understand. That's something that I stopped using many years ago and somehow I might've heard this information, I don't know. I don't know if you can kind of cover um, the difference between heme and non-heme iron. I'm assuming that you don't recommend iron supplements. I, I don't, well, see, iron supplements are commonly prescribed by family doctors because anemia is a very common thing. But the, one of the problems with the, the iron supplementation is, is, is honestly constipation when, when you take it. And um, iron is actually one of the medications that has had the most overdoses uh, throughout history. And uh, because it has a, a low amount of, um, you know, the lethal dose, I don't know how, I don't know how many iron pills you'd have to take to get a lethal dose, but it is, it is concerning. So a lot of times you don't see it high, high amounts of irons and a lot of multivitamins and things because, uh, because of this, yeah, everyone's worried that we're going to overdose or eat the vitamins like candy. And so, um, in order to avoid the side effects of constipation and, and, uh, sometimes it makes people feel nauseous when they take a supplement that's high in iron. So, for whatever reason, I'm, I find myself going back to the, the food that they're eating. And one thing that you can do is make sure that you're eating your iron rich foods with a, a food that contains high vitamin C, whether it's things like citrus or things like, um, you know, vegetables that contain like red peppers or for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so like greens, beans, and grains uh, have high, and then there's some seeds, like for instance, like pumpkin seeds contain high amounts. Um, but some folks will even do a supplement where a blackstrap molasses uh, supplement contains iron. Uh, so that's not something that, that, that I've recommended, but I've heard it, I've heard it recommended almost like a supplement uh, for some folks. Yeah. What actually contributes to anemia? The one that most people that we're, we're talking about is the iron deficiency anemia. And so for, for the most common iron deficiency anemia that's seen in the family practice clinic, it's usually from heavy menstrual flow and just loss of iron through the menses. Mm -hmm. So there is one, I mean, that is something that you can address. If someone has bad fibroids and they're having, you know, heavy flow, you can try to decrease their flow with, with menstrual uh, suppression of the menstrual cycle with, with birth control type medications. And mm -hmm. so that way you just don't have as many losses. And then you can, with a normal diet, you can, you can uh, regain your normal levels. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing for, for males and especially for older folks, uh, you worry that iron deficiency anemia might be the harbinger of blood loss through the colon from polyps and colon cancer. So that is a, when, when you're having iron deficiency, that's kind of the first thing that you're worried about 
is, is this a sign of something else? Wow, that's interesting. In little infants that you worry that it's people drinking cow's milk before age one and causing blood loss again through the intestinal brush border. Mm-hmm. So, but you'll find there's a myriad other reasons why people can have anemia for other reasons uh, not associated with iron deficiency. So how are patients, are they feeling comfortable seeing you via Zoom? How's that going? That's great. You know, I actually find that it's when people are in the comfort of your own home, I mean, there's less sort of white coat syndrome, you know, I'm at my house and I'm with my, my pets and I'm, you know, here with my family and they just feel more comfortable. And it's also nice to know that there's someone sort of on the other line who is there. Uh, even when we're not seeing each other, we set them up with an electronic medical record and they can send secure messages and stuff. So it's kind of nice. They feel like you've got you covered. I think by now, a lot of people, uh kind of know how to use Zoom, right? Yeah. So I, I, that's how I connect with my patients. It's just through Zoom. So if you've used Zoom before, then you've, 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 you've gone over that hurdle of learning the technological hurdles. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working with a uh, transformational coach who's been working with me on my own anxiety. And I love having that conversation with her via Zoom. She'll have me relax and meditate and do things that normally you would do in an office kind of setting, but I love it. And you're right. The whole comfort of being in your own home is an added bonus to all of this. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of get, uh, I don't know, maybe if you're going to meet someone, maybe you get a little like, um, like stage fright or, or, you know, like the white coat or, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> seeing this. So, but, but, uh, when they're just on the screen, there's less, uh, I don't know, less tension, I, I feel like, and it's easier. Um, uh-huh. I, I find that the, the patients are less stressed. I, they feel like they can tell me anything they need to tell me. And um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. so I've, I've even had patients throughout the years. I mean, they they'll be, you know, in their car or they'll be at the restaurant or they'll be, uh, you know, just <laughs> other places that that's in an urgent care setting. But yeah. I do recommend that when patients see me, that if they have, they have their own uh, vital sign type equipment, like a thermometer, or they test their weight, and you can get the most out of an appointment if you buy a, uh, a blood pressure cuff, one of those that goes on your arm and it's automatic. And uh, a lot of times it'll even tell you your heart rate, and, and you can even get one of those little devices uh, called the pulse ox. They're, they're so cheap now, they're 20 bucks, and... Um, these devices will help you get the most out of your telehealth visit. If you see me or see any other doctor, yeah. it's, it's good to take control of your health, you know. That's actually a pretty good thing for you to mention. And oh, the vaccine. So I was wondering if we, if you can kind of speak to our audience a little bit about the safety of the vaccine. Um, what are the numbers looking like? Um, and I mean, it looks like it's so far things are going well with the majority of the people that are receiving the first and the second vaccine. Absolutely. I, uh, first off, I want to tell everyone to get the vaccine. You know, many people say, well, are you going to get the vaccine? And the answer is yes. As soon as I'm offered the vaccine, I'm going to be getting it. I'm not a frontline health worker. I'm a telemedicine health worker. So unfortunately, I'm not on the line, but I don't want to take it from someone else who is on the front line. Uh, so as soon as I get it, I'm, I'm going to get the, the vaccine. Um, I'm in the military and in the military, we're getting vaccines for everything. So I'm not, uh, my per- I don't per- have a personal sort of concern. Uh, and I, we know that the vaccine is very effective. It's 95% effective. And so I kind of have a, uh, I kind of have, my theory is like this. You're either going to get the vaccine or you're probably going to get the virus. 
And so the question in my mind there is like, well, which one is going to cause me more, more damage, which more harm? Uh, and, and certainly the answer there is the virus. So I want to be protected. Uh, so the big concern people are having regarding side effects, the first time, the first time you get the shot, you don't get a lot of side effects. Uh, maybe a little bit of irritation at this site, but the second time you get the shot, you're having a robust immune response. And that, that, you know, people may feel a little achy and kind of, um, like they've been run over by a car. They, that's kind of the joke. Um, uh, malaise, just feeling down and, and uh, uh, some people even feel mildly feverish, but um, that's, that's suggesting that your immune system is at work and you're having a robust response. And so don't just get the one, get the two, because after the second shot, your, 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 your resistance to infection goes way up. So uh, another thing that people ask me is they say, well, is the vaccine vegan? You know, you're vegan primary care, is the vaccine vegan? And the answer is yes, the vaccine itself contains no animal products, no animal products. So that's very, I want that to be very clear to folks. Um, has it been tested on animals? Unfortunately, yes, it has been tested on animals and it's FDA required. So we can get into ethical debates about, about that. And, and certainly my stance is that we need to stop animal testing. We need to stop the requirement for animal testing. And they are working on uh, alternatives to animal testing and, and, and alternatives that are more human centric. Uh, there's human tissues that they are creating and it's in a lab environment and in vitro environment that uh, can give us answers as opposed to testing on a different species. You know, we want to be able to test on tissues that are, are human and, and that don't require uh, the loss of animal life. It shouldn't be that we should not take the vaccine because it has been tested on animals. We should honor their sacrifice and prevent the loss of further life by taking the vaccine and um, the, the, unfortunately, the loss of animal life was going to happen when, by them making the vaccine in the first place because the FDA requires it. So they say, well, there's cholesterol in the vaccine, the lipid layer that the, that the MRA, the genetic material is covered in is made with cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a dead giveaway. However, the NHS has determined that this, the cholesterol that they used was derived from plant sterols and synthetically produced so that it is a plant-based uh, product. So that's very, very good news because I know a lot of my listeners would be leery about having to take an animal-based product. Yeah, it's, I'm so glad you brought it up. I actually had not really considered how um, this was all kind of made, whether it was vegan or not. I'll tell you, um, you know, I hear mixed messages. Some people are afraid. There's a kind of running joke in my own family because everyone's afraid. And uh, my mother said she wanted to go ahead and, and get her vaccine. So she got her first shot. She's 72 years old. And the rest of the family said, well, let's see how grandma does. <laughs> and if she's okay, then we'll take it. And I'm thinking, my goodness. And she has diabetes. She's had two strokes. So she definitely does not want to get sick. Um, but we should continue to take care of ourselves between shots as well, right? Because we can still be vulnerable to um, if we're exposed after the first uh, vaccination shot. Absolutely. Your, your, uh, the effectiveness doesn't go up till about the third week after the first shot. And then after getting the second shot, it, it dramatically increases. Yeah. So you still have to be careful. The first shot is just the beginning and it's not very effective initially. It mm -hmm. takes time. 
It yeah. takes time to build up. Um, the one thing I will mention about it uh, is the anaphylaxis. A lot of times people are highly allergic to things or they've had anaphylactic reactions before. And right now the CDC is recommending that it's, it's okay unless you've had, uh, because this vaccine was produced very differently than most vaccines have produced in the past, that it doesn't mean that you're going to have an anaphylactic reaction from, from the, from the uh, COVID uh, vaccine. Remember, there's no preservatives in these vaccines because they're, they're, they're kept in such a chilled environment. Uh, and the, uh, if you are allergic to something called polysorbate or polyethylene glycol, these are components in laxatives. Uh, there's a uh, polyethylene glycol, is something that sometimes people will take before having a colonoscopy uh, and, and they'll you know, kind of flush you out. If you're allergic to that, then there's you have to let your doctor know because there's a concern there might be a cross reactivity with the um, with the vaccine. Yeah. Another concern people have is that people are saying that they've had reactions uh, because they've had injections in the lips and different fillers and you know collagen like uh, products, and the CDC is recommending to get it despite this this concern because of the um, because the coronavirus could be so complicated. I don't know if I mentioned to you, uh, Dr. Harrington, but I actually had COVID in the fall, well, <clears throat> later on in the year, um, and it was through an exposure. Uh, my husband had an exposure at work. And so I went through the whole thing. It didn't supplement with anything, but uh, after that experience, I said, wow, this stuff is real and I'm plant-based. So, and I don't have any core morbidities. I don't, I've never dealt with um, blood pressure issues or anything like that. Should I still consider taking the vaccine? They recommend it. The CDC recommends it uh, despite having coronavirus. Uh, and that is because there is a concern that over time your uh, immunity will wane. And by getting this, it's kind of like getting a booster. Just like the second shot is a booster for the first shot, okay. uh, getting, getting a, a immunized is a, a way to bolster your immunity to continue and prolong your immunity for the, the coronavirus. I've also heard some people are what they call long haulers. They continue to have complications way after their initial two week exposure or um, battle with the virus. Yes, honestly, I, I, I don't really understand the, the, the long hauler um, I, I mean, I, I just haven't heard a lot of good explanation for why this is happening. It is happening. It is happening. And I, I just, I, I tell my patients that kind of the best thing I know what to tell them is just to try to eat, you know, lifestyle, you know, get good sleep, avoid alcohol and tobacco and, and, and eat right and, and do the best, best for your health. Um, but yeah, we've all heard about stories of people having very prolonged symptoms and loss of smell and fatigue and sort of a chronic fatigue syndrome-like scenario. And yeah, so that's that to me that, that, that uh, provides one of the biggest reasons why people who are in like the 30s and 40s have a very, very low likelihood of, you know, having severe complications. Just the idea of having such a uh, long hauler syndrome makes me very, very um, uh, want to get vaccinated and want to prevent those types of um, <laughs> issues, you know, that's right. I heard one individual, um, one of the groups that I'm part of say that he went on a plant based diet to lower his blood pressure. 
had COVID and then continued on the plant-based diet and the blood pressure started going up. So he's blaming the whole food plant-based diet. And I'm thinking, are you, and I said to him, are you sure you're not one of these long haulers that continues to have complications? I don't see how a, a whole food plant-based diet could raise the blood pressure unless you're eating processed foods, right? Right. Well, I know I, I joke around when you're on the vegan diet, it's like unicorns and rainbows, you know, everything gets better, you know? So wait, I got a joke because, um, because, I get real sort of upset whenever I get sick with anything because I feel like, oh my gosh, you know, my health is my superpower. I'm a vegan and, uh, you know, what the heck. But I still have patients who are on the plant-based diet who have um, high blood pressure and some of them even have high cholesterol. And so there, there are folks who are not eating very cleanly, uh, even though it might be plant-based, they might be eating, you know, foods that are really highly processed or high in fat um, or you know, the, the familial hypercholesterolemia, the family, uh, mm -hmm. cholesterol, elevated cholesterol is a thing. And, uh, and so you can only treat it so much with a plant-based diet. Most of the time you get into their appropriate range, but sometimes you don't. And, um, I'm not opposed to prescribing medications. I have the, the power to prescribe all the, you know, <laughs> normal, you know, gold standard medications, but certainly the first thing that we try are the lifestyle changes. Right. So you might have just answered this, but what would you say to someone, to a patient who swears that they're eating a very clean whole food plant-based diet, so they're eliminating the salts and the oils and the sugars and still struggle with um, the high cholesterol or the high blood pressure? You just said you're not opposed to medication, but how can we keep them on track and continue to encourage them to eat this way despite still needing a little bit of medication to control those other factors? Yeah, so th this, this is very common. This is very common. And uh, you want, uh, as a doctor, I'm people's advocate. And I, I don't want there to people to feel like they have to, um, you know, sort of bend the truth when they talk to me. I want, I want people to know that like, hey, we're all human and we're all, you know, make mistakes or whatever. No, uh, some patients will say, well, I eat very perfectly, very cleanly. But in general, we're human and we can all, we can all clean up our diet a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we can all eat more greens in our diet. We can all uh, improve. And so as opposed to sort of, uh, you know, having sort of this head to head sort of converse, uh, confrontation, one of the cool things that I like to do is I share everything I eat with my patients through the U8 app, which is uh, on iOS and Android. And it's a free app. And it's a food logging app and you don't have to count calories or anything like that. You just, before you put it in your mouth, you snap a picture of it and, uh, and you're like, Doc Harrington, this is what I'm eating. So when we friend each other, I can see what you eat and you can see what I eat and we can compare. And so if, if you're still having problems after having that little bit of accountability, the idea that, that uh, someone is kind of there for you and sharing in your experience, um, if you're still having problems, then we may, we may work it out. Now, there are things called the uh, portfolio diet, which is just increasing the plant sterols in your diet to decrease cholesterol. Uh, and so that's including servings of beans in your diet, including servings of oatmeal. And you can even take plant sterol supplements as a, um, a counter instead of taking statins, for instance. Some people try this plant sterols. And so there are also some other supplements called amla powder. Amla powder is just uh, dried and, and the powdered Indian gooseberries. Uh, they're grape-like fruit. Uh, they're really yummy. Um, 
but uh, the powder itself is not very yummy. So I like to take it in capsules. Uh, <laughs> but that also is, is, is known to decrease cholesterol. So these are some of the things that we try. Okay, great. Yeah, I do add the amla powder into my smoothie as well. And, uh, and now I'm starting to add a little bit of maca, only because I read that it helps kind of reduce maybe potential hot flashes <laughs> since I'm headed that way. So I like what you said about the U8 app. That is awesome because a lot of times you want to be able to see what people are actually eating. And uh, I, you know, I say this often, but when I first went plant-based, so I, I just thought, oh, I'll just eat the processed vegan version of what I used to eat. And so I realized I wasn't really eating a lot of living foods, healthy foods. And so once I started eating a lot more unprocessed foods, you know, the weight started coming off, I had more energy. So I like that. I, I'm going to make sure to look that up for myself. Um, the other thing that I noticed too was that I like what you just said, that we continue to be human, so we're not perfect. It doesn't mean that we won't feel tired and fatigued at times just because we're on a whole food plant-based diet. I mean, as we age, we probably naturally have a little bit less energy, um, stress, emotional stress, the things that are happening in our environment continue to affect our health as well. And do you um, recommend, I know we, we, I like to speak a lot about lifestyle medicine and we have covered it in the past. Do you also kind of prescribe other things to your patients like self-care, walking, stress management? Yes, yes. So um, diet is always number one. Diet is number one because I, I feel like it's really the building blocks. Uh, you know, what you're putting in your body is, your, is what your body has to work with the building blocks. And so uh, I say, oh, you can never outrun your mouth. You can never outrun your mouth, right? So, uh, you know, 100 calories from an extra cookie is like a long run worth of exercise. You'd have to decrease uh, uh, to equal out those calories. But exercise is number two. Number two, uh, uh, sometimes it sounds like I'm poo-pooing exercise because, you know, I'm talking about diet is number one. But exercise has so many beneficial effects uh, along with your health and your immune system. Uh, you, they, in, in animal models, I mean, talking about animals again, they've, they've shown that you can um, decrease the spread of cancer, for instance, with exercise. Uh, and that's, that's in animal models. But um, the number one reason I tell people to exercise, believe it or not, is for mental health, mental health, because it's hard to feel anxious after you've gone on a run. You know, it's hard to feel depressed. I mean, you just feel so vibrant, so alive, and you're in the moment. And so exercise is like magical mental health medication, uh, despite the fact that it makes you feel great. And everything. So obviously sleep and uh, stress reduction, meditation, guided meditation, yoga, these kind of things. And one of the things that Dr. Uh, Gregor had put on recently was something called forest bathing. And uh, I always, I, I hadn't really heard it put that like that. Uh, um, I always say vitamin N, vitamin N, you need your vitamin N, your nature. Yes, getting out in nature will just decrease your stress and having an animal. These, these are, you know, like a pet. These are things that really decrease your stress dramatically. Um, so, yeah, we go over all those things. And I try to meet people where they're at, try to find what they might be missing in their life and to help sort of round out their lifestyle factors. I love the whole idea of forest bathing. As a matter of fact, I keep a book here on my desk to kind of remind me of the importance of getting out in nature. Oh, wow. So yeah. So a couple of years ago, I actually went, uh, we went on a trip to Oahu and I went to 
the first uh, forest bathing guide, individual who guides these tours in Oahu. There are probably a lot more now, but it was my first experience having a four hour sort of being very present in nature, guided by her um, with a small group and focusing on the entire environment. And then we come back and have tea, uh, like a tea ceremony. And ever since then, I've understood the importance of spending time in nature. So um, anyway, so that I have that book as a reminder. Dr. Harrington, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I think with the, the questions are, uh, I think are adequate for today, but I do want to say, hey, if you are looking for a doctor who gets you, then go to veganprimarycare.com and look me up, make an appointment to be seen. I can be your health advocate, your primary care doctor, even if we're in different states. I'm in most states throughout the nation, 42 states. And so I, I look forward to meeting with you and being your health advocate. After all, no matter what condition, no matter what stage of life, we always start with a primary physician, right? Absolutely. I, I, I'm like the medical home base. Yes. Medical home base. Uh, I, uh, as your family doctor, I, I look forward to what specialists have to say, and we can get you seen by different experts in their field. Uh, but, but it's always nice to have a, a family doctor as your primary care so that uh, you can make sure that medicines that the cardiologist prescribes doesn't interact with the one the nephrologist prescribes or the gastrologist, gastroenterologist. Um, and so it, it's nice that uh, you have someone looking at the big picture. Yes, and the fact that you're available in so many states, um, you have that foundation and understanding of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition. And I, I, I say it over and over again, but I keep seeing comments of, people wanting the, a physician that is on their side that's not going to fight what they already have learned when they watch films like Forks Over Knives, What the Health, when they've read information by Dr. Michael Greger, now they want the physician who is on the same page with them and, and wants to be proactive in their health. So until every doctor is plant-based like they should be, right. you can see Dr. Harrington at Vegan Primary Care. That's right. We're so thankful that you're available. We'll put all your links and information um, in the show comments. And as always, thank you so much, Dr. Harrington, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Maya. I really appreciate you allowing thank me to come on. Okay, so there you have it, Dr. Scott Harrington. If you're interested in knowing his story of how he became vegan and then how he developed his vegan primary care um, practice, I'm going to put a link to the previous interview I had with him so that you can learn a little bit more about him. Visit his website, sign up. If you don't have a vegan physician who supports your way of eating and your lifestyle, you need to connect with Dr. Harrington. Thanks for listening, you guys. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.